0: Hey, welcome to Brave. Um, for those of you that are just joining us uh, or others who couldn't make it last Sunday, it was our annual Vision Weekend, which is kind of a big deal around here. And we shared with you how our name was changing from Bay City to Brave. And so we start this morning, we'll be in a three-part series that unpacks our new name, looking at it from what the Bible has to say about being brave, and then in the coming weeks, we're going to explore the bravery of Jesus and the early church, and as well as what it means to be brave today. The word brave is a synonym for the word courageous. To be brave is to be courageous. Brave, whenever it's used as an adjective, means possessing or exhibiting courage or courageous endurance. How many know we need that? When the word brave is used as a verb, it means to meet or to face something courageously. It's hard to begin talking about brave without addressing its alter ego, fear. Fear is a personal struggle that we all face, and it comes to each of us in all different forms. I have a fear that began when I was a small boy. Have you ever noticed that most of our great pains and fears in life started in our childhood? I remember I was camping with my grandfather one night way out in the woods and we had just put out the campfire and we were using this small flashlight to climb up into this homemade camper shell that my grandfather had built and we were going to go to sleep. It was only five feet above the bed of the truck so it was very low profile and it ran parallel with the roof of the truck. There was a piece of plywood and a mattress in there, and I crawled up first uh, into the the truck. There was the rear window glass of the truck next to me. Right above me literally was the ceiling, but my grandfather, who was 6'4", was laying right next to me, and I felt really safe, and I was just excited to be out in the woods at night with my grandpa, and it was a great adventure, but later that night, sometime in the night, I woke up and if you ever woken up and you, you're, you just don't know where you're at, you're just disoriented. It's pitch dark black. I don't know where I'm at. I go like this th- 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 and it's that rear window glass, but I don't remember that that's what it is. I'm disoriented. I go like this and there's a ceiling right here and I think, I think I'm suffocating. I think I've been buried alive in a coffin, right? The moment was real. The experience was real, but the fear was not. From then on, I worried about just being in tight places. The fear that started when I was young was later fueled by anxiety. So when I got anxious, I would start to, to fear that everything was closing in around me. It didn't even have to be a tight space. My mind would race with all kinds of thoughts, things that were outside of my control. And when I feel anxious, I feel less anxious in control. And I begin to feel claustrophobic, which is the fear of having no escape and being closed off or out of options. For me, it was triggered by many different things. It could be going into an elevator and a whole group of people. It could be packed crowds at a stadium. It could be really, really bad traffic, which is really bad around here. It could be windowless rooms. It could be tunnels. It could be my wife. Just kidding. It's not my wife. Uh, it could be uh, it could be airplanes. It could be dentist chairs. I mean, even like tight neck clothing, like turtlenecks. I mean, needless to say, I'll I'll never be Steve Jobs on Halloween. Um, in fact, I think I'll undo a button right now. No, I'm just playing. But 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 what do you fear in life? Maybe you've had a similar phobia or something that's plagued you since childhood. A memory that maybe you rehearse and you tell that story quite frequently a time in your life, or maybe it's something else, but we all have something as the point. It could be the fear of losing a job, the fear of lo- not having enough, and so we hoard and hoard and hoard. It could be that your marriage is not going to work. It could be some of you, it's the, you're just afraid that you're going to lose a child prematurely, and it just kind of k- keeps coming to your mind, or, or maybe you're worried about your health. You're worried about one day you're going to go to the doctor, and you're going to hear the C word, cancer. Or some of us are just afraid of being alone. Fear is called by many different names. It's called worry, tension. Uh, I have a deep concern, which is code for I'm worrying and I have a fear. Uh, It can be anxiety. It can be stress. It can be fatigue because of all the things in your life that you feel like you can't control and you're fearful about those things. A recent study was done that 500 people discovered that they had 7,000 different fears the average person in this room has 14 different fears, but we just call them different things. We give different words to them. What do we know about fear? Well, one of the things we know about fear is it's contagious. You can get it from other people. We know that it can hold us back in life. We know that it can be very draining. Have you ever been so worn out that, that by just the things that you're worrying about, you're tired? Let's consider two categories of fear. First of all, there's, there's kind of the surface fears. Uh, these aren't quite as deep uh, or as debilitating below the surface, but they are a threat to us. There's fears like not being able to pay your bills on time, and you're worried about that, or, or, or a fear of, I'm going to run out of gas, and you're anxious about that, or not being able to find a bathroom, or what if my bladder explodes? Has that ever actually happened to anybody? I mean, can that, I don't, that's so gross. If it, it, Anyway, Surface fears are not life-threatening for the most part, but at the next level down, there are fears that are a little more unsettling in life. They're kind of what I would call soul fears, spiritual fears, or subconscious fears that are just constantly playing underneath the story of our lives. They're below the surface. The fear of failure will cause us to do a lot of different things simply because we fear failure. The fear of rejection. The fear of abandonment. The fear of losing control. Have you ever been afraid that people are going to think you weir- you're you weird and you, you're so afraid of that that you start acting weird? And they do think you're weird? You, you know, the fear of being found out. The fear of not being adequate for the task. What do you fear? God wants to give us a courage to face our fear and to win. So before we continue, let's pray. And let's ask God to reveal to us the fears and then speak to us what we need this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you. There's there's no other place. There's no other hour of the week quite like this hour that we're gathered together in this large gathering. And so we just ask that that you would speak to each and every one of us that by your holy spirit you would bring to our thoughts the things, the fears, The stories, the things that we've been dwelling on that have defined who we are up until this point, and that you would speak to us about those in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible has a lot to say about fear. In fact, uh, some pretty significant Bible characters struggled with it. Actually, they all did. Abraham was the father of our faith, and he lied. He told the king that this woman was not his wife, that she was his sister. Peter denied Jesus out of fear three times. Gideon was afraid. The list goes on. Fortunately for us, the Bible is full of stories of people that struggle just like you and I, and we can learn from their experiences. So today's passage of Scripture is found in Joshua chapter 1. You can go ahead and turn there on a smartphone, on a Bible, or you can read along up on the big screen in just a few moments. But I just want to give you a little backstory to set the stage. For 40 years... Israel had walked around in circles through the wilderness. Now, I want you to think about your own life. I don't know what age you are or stage of life you're in, but I want you to think about, is there a wilderness that I continue to walk in? They were not willing to leave the known for the unknown, even though they knew what they had was not enough. That's the story of many people. Stuck in what they knew knowing it's not enough. The people of God had a past, a story of being slaves for over 400 years. Over 400 years. Think of your own life. How long have you had a story? For over 400 years, their story was they would experienced real abuse. Have you? They experienced rejection. They experienced loneliness and pain. It was all part of their story. It was deeply ingrained in their identity. And now God was offering them a new identity and a new story, a new future with lots of wilderness between them and their new identity. It was there for them for the taking, but they had to be willing to move through the wilderness in order to possess what God had for them. But when it came to a time to living a better story, this entire generation of people decided that they wanted to go back to what they knew. They began to talk about their past in Egypt as if it wasn't that bad. Have you ever done that? You know, maybe you quit your job, you took this huge step of faith to start your own business, and you accept this new position elsewhere, and and maybe you hated your old job, but you quickly discover in your new job that, you know, this is hard too, and then you start reminiscing about your old job and just how much you really loved it but you actually hated it. Israel chose to settle for the story that they knew, and they repeated that story over and over and over again. Several years ago, I had unresolved issues in my backyard. What I mean by that is in the corner of my backyard, there was this area that was about 20 feet by 30 feet, and and it was wild and untamed. And after a while, I even started pretending that it was intentional. Uh, I would tell friends when they would come over for barbecues and stuff that that area of the backyard, that that's actually a natural uh, wilderness landscape motif that I intended to leave that way. But when we started losing small children in it, it wasn't as funny. And so landscaping that area of my own backyard always came down to two things, money and, and priority. So every year for five years, I had a reoccurring weed problem. I never wanted to take the time to do something about it. I was okay with it being my story. I could have gone out at any point and dug up the weeds by the roots. I could have treated the soil. I could have done the hard work, and I could have conquered the land, and I would have enjoyed a weed-free yard. But instead, I lived with it. Like the people of Israel, I grew comfortable with what I had. And even when I could have had better, many of us have reoccurring weeds, fears, stories that we've never fully dealt with. Israel was afraid God would not provide. Fear is irrational. They feared that the very God who saved them from slavery, the one that had parted the Red Sea and then gave them manna from heaven every morning, they now feared would not continue to deliver on their promises. It's like the person who, God does great things, and then the next week they're angry at God because God's not there for them. Then God does great things, and then I don't know if God will do it again. And we're back and forth, back and forth. They did not believe that God would do it again, that God would actually remain faithful to them. So the book of Joshua opens with a story of this entirely new generation of people who refused to settle for more of the same. They saw this as their opportunity to live out and embrace a new story. God gives us all opportunities that are ours to possess, if we'll let go of our old story. So in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, I begin reading, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. You must lead my people across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Everywhere you go, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev desert in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates river in the east to the Mediterranean Sea on the west, and all the land of the Hittites no one will be able to stand their ground against you as long as you live for i will be with you as i was with moses i will not fail you or abandon you verse 6 be strong and courageous for you will be you will lead my people to possess all the land i swore to give their ancestors be strong and very courageous obey all the laws moses gave you do not turn away from them and you will be successful in everything you do verse 9 I command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. God is commanding us, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. It's a command. He says, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Did you know that the most frequently stated command in all of Scripture is do not be afraid? Fear of people fear of what others will say, fear of what they'll do, fear of how they'll reject us, causes us to settle, to settle for the known, the comfortable, to make idols out of what we like and what we can control in our lives. You see, we all face the desire to give away our lives to something too small. To live a shadow mission. A shadow mission is to live near what you were called to do, to become as comfortable as you can with your fear and your story, rather than to overcome it. And instead of crossing into the one thing that you were meant to be and to become, you remain the person you are, stuck in a shadow mission. The shadow mission comes in all different forms. It's It can be sometimes a form of success or a desire that just distracts you from your intended life contribution. An entire generation lived for 40 years in the very shadow of that river, of that land, of what God had for them on the other side. They could literally see it from here. And you can too. You can see your best life. You can see the mission. You can see the purpose. You can see what you're called to do. An entire group of people got it wrong. And what's even worse, they helped each other stay stuck. Oh, that's a sad story. Yeah. Oh, I I can totally, I, I totally get it. That's why you are the way you are. Yeah. I know me too. Here's my story. And we commensurate our stories and we stay stuck in our stories. It doesn't end with somebody saying, yeah, but let's create a new story. Yes, that's who we were before Christ. That's who we were before we began to follow Jesus. But now, what's going to be our new story? And their loyalty to that story kept them stagnant. So you know what God did? He raised up an entirely new group of people right underneath them, their own kids. Kids who were willing to be brave. This is sobering. The adults lived in the shadow of their mission within full view of what they could have been. You know, fear visits all of us as children. Fear wants to shape our story, wants to change our life for the worst and leave us stuck for the rest of our lives. How do we overcome fears? Think of something in your life right now that you're facing Think of a reoccurring fear that impacts you. Think of a story that you tell and retell and tell and retell that has you stuck. Well, my fear reached an all-time high when, after speaking at a conference in Washington, my host drove me to the Portland airport. And I had flown up to Portland and had no problems, but on my journey back, it was going to take an unexpected twist. You see, I travel with Ativan just in case when I'm in a tight space, in a plane and I start to feel claustrophobic, I take the Atavan, usually before I board the plane. Well it was Saturday evening and I boarded this plane and I, I get a pre-board pass so that I can sit in the front row, there's more leg room, and it's in front of the flight attendants galley, so there's more space there in the plane. And the other reason I do it is pride. I don't like to cry in front of flight attendants. Right? So I'm on this plane and there's this commotion that breaks out and they asked us in the front rows if one of us would be willing to move, but they didn't tell us why. Well, a few minutes later, this angry woman wheels her husband, who's a paraplegic, onto the plane and looks at me glaringly, like, really, you wouldn't give up your seat? I jump up quickly, I give them my seat, I say I'm so sorry, and I head to the back of the plane, forgetting that I'm claustrophobic. It was just sheer adrenaline. And by the time I sit down... My fears now returned. I'm now sitting in this tight seat with two women that won't stop talking, and I'm in the very back of the plane, and the, the tube is closing in on me, and I'm suffocating, so I take an, an Ativan, just one. Actually, it was two. It might have been three. I don't know. I was just like, I would have taken the whole bottle if I could have. And then suddenly, the woman, the wife, she stands up in front of everybody in a packed plane, And she yells back to me and says, You mean to tell me you didn't know my husband was in a wheelchair? And then she looks to the flight attendant for confirmation that the flight attendant had not told me. And the flight attendant throws me under the bus and gestures and acts like, Well, of course I told him. And everyone on the plane turns and looks at me. And suddenly, I have this kind of Will Ferrell moment. And I yell out, I hear myself yell out, I've got problems too. And it's like, you didn't just do that. And the next thing I know, I jump up, I grab my bag, and I rush off the plane. And when I got off, I discover now that that was the last flight for that night. So I rent a car, and I rent the car, and I'm driving, and now the ad event starts to kick in. And I'm happy. I'm like so happy. I'm on I 5, which is ugly. And I'm driving, I'm going, oh, look at the trees. Oh, it's green. A squirrel. You know, I'm just like, I'm happy. I'm not thinking like I'm going to now drive, and this is Saturday night, I'm going to drive 12 hours from Portland all the way to San Ramon to be here to speak in the morning. And I've got exactly 12 hours to get here. And I'm like, I'm like happy about the whole thing. And then it dawns on me, I am feeling the peace of God. Well, it was more like a drug induced. Peace, really. And I'm thinking, I, I got to get to Starbucks before they close because they're not open all night. So I go into Starbucks. True story. I buy five vente iced coffees. <laughs> I put two of them in the, in, the, in the holders right here in the front seat. I put two of them in the back holders in the back seat and the other one in my hand. And for 12 hours, I drove straight under the inter, <laughs> influence of Ativan and iced coffee counteracting the whole thing. Everyone deals with some form of fear. And some of us think that it's just real and it's normal. And others of us just kind of minimize our fears and we kind of give them different names and call them different things. And then others of us, we believe that we're carrying a unique cross that's outside of our control, and that's the biggest lie of all. You see, we all have stories. That's just one story that I told you we all have stories. We all have things that we have to overcome, that no one can overcome them for us. A story goes like this. One day, death was walking towards a man, and he stopped him and asked, what are you going to do? And death said, I'm going to kill 10,000 people today. And the man said, that's horrible. And death said, well, that's the way it is. That's what I do. I'm going to kill 10,000 people today. So the man decided to warn everybody. So he went around town, and he was warning everybody that death was coming. He said, and then at the end of the day, he went to death, and he confronted him. He said, Death, you said you were only going to kill 10,000 people, but 100,000 people died today. And death said, I did. I only killed 10,000 people. Worry and fear killed the rest. Whatever your fear is, whatever your story The first step in weakening fear's grip is to realize when it comes to fear, you're not alone. Your fear may have a different name, but everyone has to fight their own personal battles. Nobody is born into this life, or or rather experiences a life, without a lack of wholeness. We're born unwhole. We're born with fears. We're born with insecurities. It is our nature as human beings to need someone bigger than ourselves. Everyone has to decide what the story of his or her life will be. Focusing on fears empowers it. Focusing on something bigger weakens it and shrinks it. When I place my thoughts on something bigger, Fear is cast out, it's displaced, and I'm free. Joshua and all those that followed him, they wrote a whole new story together, that entire generation of people. They didn't go into that land and continue to talk about uh, slavery and all of that. No, they went in and possessed. It says in Joshua 11, verse 15, it says that Joshua left nothing undone and the people of God went for it. They saw God's story and they committed we're called to be brave. In a land and in a world that is full of fear, we are called to be brave. They saw God's story, and they committed to that story. You have to decide what your future story is going to be, and only you can decide that story. There's a verse in John chapter 4 that really gets to the root of all this. In John 4 verse 15, it says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is a son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Verse 18 There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Have you ever heard someone say that the opposite of fear is faith? That's not true. Faith doesn't overcome fear. Love overcomes fear. Because love is a deep-rooted sense of value and self-worth. The Bible teaches us that where there is love, fear cannot remain. We don't hang on to our old stories because we like them or even that we think we're better for it. We settle for lesser stories and give in to our fears when we forget to acknowledge how much God loves us. The person who thinks they're unworthy, invaluable, and not good enough is a person that has not grabbed a hold of the gospel story. The gospel story, the good news is that Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, God died on a cross, and he did it for you, and he did it for me Greater love hath no one than to lay down their life for another. How much more do we need? Well, we have to be willing to embrace that as our new story. That I'm a king's kid. That I'm completely loved and valuable. And regardless of what people have done to me in my past, what God has done for me is said, you are invaluable. You're a treasure and I love you. What do you fear? What sabotages you every time when you're just about ready to succeed? What do you start to do? What are the excuses you make to escape what God has provided for you? Maybe you can even think of ways right now, stories that we spend. We're so used to whatever our story is. You know, we're chronically ill because that's a way out of, I don't have to go meet those people. I don't have to be in that awkward moment or whatever it is. There's so many stories that we create out of fear. Maybe you've even said some things or done some things that you know, that's really not what I wanted to say or do. That's really not who I am. This morning, we're going to sing a song and I want to invite the band to come out and and it's a song about surrender. And and this is a moment for you that you can say, I want to surrender my old stories. It doesn't mean that they go away. It doesn't deny the fact that they exist. But you allow the open wound to become a scar today. I have scars all over my body from stupid stuff I did as a kid and as an adult. They've healed. I can talk about any scar without any emotion today because it's healed. But that's because it's no longer my story. I have a new story. I have a future that I'm moving into. And so today, as we sing this song, Surrender, maybe this is a moment for you to do just that, to surrender the old stories and grab a hold of the new story, not out of your own strength, because you can't do it in your own strength, but just out of receiving love, just receiving all that he's done for you and acknowledging that new story. Would you stand with me? And uh, Jake's going to lead us in this song.